It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW, Sitka. Today is Thursday, July 14. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. If you don't count the revenue from the in-progress summer tour season, which hasn't been calculated yet, Sitka's economy has rebounded to near-pre-pandemic levels. But the past two years have brought some other changes, and not all of them are promising. The information about Sitka's economy is published by the Sitka Economic Development Association in its quarterly newsletter, Trends. Among the more worrisome numbers for Sitka are a slow decline in population, with the loss of over 500 people over the past five years and a decline of over 350 children in the past 10 years. On the bright side, the average wage is up from $48,000 in 2019 to $52,000 in 2021. Although wages in Sitka are lower than other major cities in Southeast and lower than wages statewide, per capita personal income is among the highest, probably driven by the strength of the local seafood industry. These numbers and more will be the topic of discussion at the Sitka Economic Summit today at 2 p.m. at University of Alaska Southeast. There is a Zoom link for those unable to attend in person, and you can find registration information at kcw.org. The future of the marine services industry in Sitka could be decided by voters this fall. The Sitka Assembly on Tuesday approved on first reading a ballot question asking residents to spend the proceeds from the recent sale of the community hospital to build a new marine haulout at the city's industrial park. The transfer would solve a major problem for vessel owners in Sitka, but it also raises questions about where best to spend millions in public funds. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Tor Christensen and co-sponsor Kevin Mosher brought the ballot proposition forward after months of back and forth. If approved by the voters, the city would take the over $8 million from the sale of the Sitka Community Hospital property this spring and put it toward building a marine haulout. Christensen said the idea was the best option to emerge from a working group tasked to solve Sitka's lack of anywhere to haul and service larger vessels. First and foremost, um, I think it'll actually work. I think we, we can safely say we have tried just about everything. It's been over two years since the privately owned haulout that served Sitka at Halibut Point Marine announced it would be shutting its doors. Since then, the city has tried to secure grants to fund a haul-out. It sought proposals from the private sector and leased property to a grassroots group of local vessel owners and commercial fishermen with solid plans for a community boatyard but insufficient capital. So far, a haul-out hasn't materialized, and the fleet has been without a place to work on boats since this spring. Here's local fisherman Eric Jordan. I was one of the last people to get hauled out at McGraw's this spring, March 18th. And I had nine different crew members come out and work on my boat for 25 bucks an hour over the course of two days. It's impossible for me to line up that kind of help in other communities. I just wanna press on you the urgency and importance of this to this fishing community. Jordan was one of several Sitkins who urged the assembly to take the ballot prop to the voters. Sponsor Kevin Mosher said that at the end of the day, if the city wanted a haul out, it was going to have to pay for it. 
the fishing fleet, the marine fleet, affects every single person in this town. You can't just say, well, I don't have a fishing boat, so it doesn't affect me. It affects you very much from sales tax to um, payroll, to people being on payroll, and then that money just circulates throughout the town. Uh, we Having a, a, a haul-out is absolutely crucial to this community. Under the city's charter, money from the sale of municipal property is deposited into the Sitka Permanent Fund, where only a vote of the public can withdraw it. That's where the $8.1 million from the sale of Sitka Community Hospital landed. During public comment, former Assemblymember Richard Wien warned against using money from the permanent fund and said dipping into Sitkin's dividends from the state's permanent fund might be a better way to go. I think that this really needs to be considered, have a community effort, everyone give a portion of their uh, PFDs. We got the money, we got the U-Haul, and we maintain the PFD. Several assembly members shared concerns about how taking $8 million would impact the health of the city's permanent fund, which is meant to support Sitka's operating budget, to the tune of about $340,000 a year. Member Kevin Knox said while he believed a haul-out is essential, he wasn't sure that paying for it with money from the permanent fund was the best solution. He proposed an amendment to the ballot proposition that would have required the assembly to pay back the annual losses each year. But he withdrew it after the city attorney raised questions about whether the measure was unconstitutional. Still, Knox said he couldn't vote for the measure, at least on first reading. I need more information. I need to figure out a little bit more about how this this works for our community as a whole. Um, And if there's some way to come back and and bring the, the permanent fund back to whole. And Rebecca Hemshoot said while she struggled with the idea of using public funds to support a private industry, she supported letting the voters decide. It's their assets. It's the community's permanent fund. And we need this haul out. And we haven't solved it any other way. The Assembly passed the measure 6-1 to one on first reading with Knox opposed. If it passes on second reading, the question will go on the municipal ballot and voters will decide the issue in the October election. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. A new study shows that mines can have impacts on watersheds hundreds of miles downstream and years into the future. As KSDK's Sage Smiley reports, the paper's authors say their analysis points to a need for more comprehensive risk consideration for mines to protect salmon watersheds throughout the Northwest. There are thousands of coal and metal mines, both active and inactive, scattered throughout northwestern North America. A study published earlier this month in the journal Science Advances found a consistent pattern of harm to salmon habitat and watersheds from some of those mines. It's basically a smoking gun. Guy Archibald is the executive director of the Southeast Alaska Indigenous Transboundary Commission, a coalition of 15 tribal governments advocating for protections for watersheds shared by Alaska and British Columbia and Canada, as well as tribal representation in the decision-making process for BC mines. He says the study is groundbreaking. We have observed for decades that mines and watersheds occur and then salmon populations are harmed. But there's never been a direct connection made between the mining activities and the harm to salmon. And this paper goes a long ways to showing that. Jonathan Moore is a co-author of this study and a salmon ecosystem scientist and professor at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia. I think that's one of the things that's really unique about this paper is it does bring together the sort of 
state-of-the-art science about how these really complicated and changing river systems work with sort of state-of-the-art sort of mining understanding and how it's regulated. Moore says the paper isn't arguing against mining. What it is, is it's arguing for the incorporation of best available science to guide mining so it can be most sustainable. The study's lead author, Chris Sargent, is a research scientist with the University of Montana's Flathead Lake Biological Station. Sargent says there's no one-stop shop for mining data, so they had to pull from a variety of sources, U.S. Geological Survey databases, data from mining industry resources, government agencies, and academic literature. In that data, study authors found numerous examples of mines having negative impacts on watersheds, even long after they were closed. For instance, we point out uh, a river in the Coeur d'Alene watershed in Idaho, where even 70 years after mining had ended, the pollution that maintained because of that work continues to depress the populations of fish and aquatic insects in that stretch of river. It can be a similar story hundreds of miles away from mines and across international borders. In the Elk Valley watershed in southern BC that flows in the Kootenai River and uh, through Montana and Idaho and back into BC, there's uh, selenium uh, pollution from coal mines that's 250 kilometers downstream. And that wasn't really envisioned before those mines were built. The U.S. government is taking note. Last month, the Biden administration called on the Canadian government to participate in a joint investigation of that selenium pollution in the transboundary Elk Valley watershed. In 2020, Congress committed millions of dollars to transboundary watershed monitoring projects. Whether or not mines or watersheds straddle borders, Sargent also notes mines are being proposed and built in more and more extreme environments, on mountains, across glaciers, as easy-to-reach areas are already tapped. So you've got these feats of engineering to build mines in places where there are no roads or, or many humans at all. And then on top of that, you've got climate change coming down the pike where we're getting more intense rain events, more landslides, more flooding, more drought. Sargent says a prime example of unforeseen climate impacts is the Red Dog Mine in western Alaska, which was built in 1989. Because of unforeseen permafrost thaw, their water treatment facilities and their open pits are getting overwhelmed uh, with more water than we've ever envisioned. And that's within a few decades of the project starting. So um, those are the kind of concerns I see. Is like, can we, if we're building these bigger and bigger mine projects, can we even do the engineering correctly. He points out that mines are critical for the transition to a low-carbon future. Copper and other minerals are essential parts of batteries for electric cars and other low-carbon alternatives. The decision to build a large mine is going to impact the land for decades to centuries, and that decision needs to be thought about really carefully. For study authors, the data point to a need for better transparency, more consideration of the cumulative effects of mines, and the complex environmental stressors that could impact mines and watersheds due to the changing climate. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.